When God transforms our trials into opportunities for growth and change, does it soften our hearts to see His plans in action? Does witnessing God at work open a door in our hearts to forgiveness? Could it be because God is the embodiment of grace and mercy as reflected in His Son and in His plan? These gifts we receive from a loving Father are at the heart of a sacred rite and custom established in ancient days and flourishing even today. God has extended His ability to provide blessings directly to us, His children, that we might bless each other in His name. What greater glimpse can we have of the heart and love of God? I invite you to join us in our study today and encourage each of us to request divine understanding so that the Spirit can teach us individually and specifically. Welcome to Come Follow Up. When I'm struggling to forgive, I really find it important to remember the Savior. Like, of the things that I've gone through, they are nothing in comparison to what He went through for us. And if He found it in Himself to forgive even what He endured, uh, it's really not that much to ask me to do the same. As much as I would like to think my family's perfect, we do have arguments in our home. So I think for us, there's always like, you're having a disagreement, but if you're able to see the other person's point of view and be able to like kind of walk in their footsteps and you hit the, like the turning point where it's either it can go really bad or you can turn this around and have good feelings. I feel like always choosing the latter is the better option of the two. Welcome everybody and thank you for being here today. Today's discussion topics come from our studies of Genesis chapters 42 through 50. And the first topic we're going to discuss is forgiveness brings healing. And the second topic is Jacob's final blessing. And to help us with these topics, we want to welcome Patrick Mason. Welcome, Patrick. Thanks. Patrick is one of our resident scholars, and he is an associate professor in religious studies and history at Utah State University. And seated next to Patrick, we want to welcome Diane and Lars Nielsen. Welcome. Thank you. Nice to be here. Uh, Lars is a clinical professor and psychologist at the BYU Counseling Center, and Diane filled that position uh, up until 2019 and now works in private practice. We're excited to get to know both of you today. Uh, Patrick, mm -hmm. uh, well, as we get into these chapters, uh, you want to give us just kind of an overview of what is happening and what we can expect to discuss today. Yeah, so there's a lot going on in these chapters. So Joseph is now in charge in Egypt, second only to Pharaoh, and the famine has hit. And the famine has hit not only in Egypt, but uh, other places as well. So Jacob and his sons, they're, they're starting to starve. The, the crops are running out. And so they come to Egypt because Egypt is the one place that has food because of Joseph's visions and, and, and because they stored up. And so they come and Joseph recognizes them immediately. They don't recognize him. So this, this commences, you know, a, a few times, you know, he, he, at first he keeps Simeon and sends them back and says, you need to bring Benjamin, uh, your youngest brother back. Jacob doesn't want to. He's like, he's worried about losing his youngest child yet again. Uh, but they, it comes back and it's, uh, long story short, uh, finally Joseph reveals himself to them and, and there's, uh, there's just reconciliation among this family. Uh, and it's, it's, it's just beautiful. I can't wait to dive into the specifics. So let's jump into this topic. Forgiveness brings healing. You know, something that I noticed that was really interesting is this is something that is talking about relevance. The family proclamation uh, talks about the importance of healing within the family dynamic. Yeah, I mean, the, the forgiveness, those lessons, uh, hopefully they start at home. 
uh, families, uh, it seems, I mean, this is one of our first schools for forgiveness because it's the first place where we bump into each other and there's conflict uh, that's just inevitable. That's part of those family situations. Uh, not as stark as this family, but, but every family has it. And so families are, is, is our first school to learn how to forgive. Let's go ahead and read that uh, from the Family Proclamation. Successful marriages and families are established and maintained on principles of faith, prayer, repentance, forgiveness, respect, love, compassion, work, and wholesome recreational activities. I want to go to the Nielsen's on this. In your work, um, working with, with families, how important do you see uh, this quality of forgiveness in fostering a healthy family environment? As you say, it's a primary place to bump into each other, um, that it's an opportunity to practice really every single day. I love that. If you have little kids, it's unusual for them not to get angry at each other. But even if you have only one child, then the child's going to get mad at you because you control them and you say no and so on. So there, there are countless opportunities, really, and you, and, and you have lots of t- chances, many, 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 many chances to, uh, to teach forgiveness and demonstrate forgiveness. Right? So pretty safe to say that this is a very common issue among families. Yeah. Well, let's go to the audience. Jacob, tell us about your perfect family. Well, just kidding. <laughs> so you have, a, you have a question? Yeah, I do. So I'm just curious, like, does forgiving have a process that you can break down? That's a good question. Yeah. Well, well, forgiveness is more than one thing. Uh, and there's an interpersonal part to forgiveness. And that has to do with what you say and how you behave towards someone. And, and that can be very complicated because you could forgive someone but not trust them. And if you don't trust somebody, then you're going to behave in a way that seems unforgiving. But, uh, and then there's the internal part of forgiving, which is how you feel and what you tell yourself about how somebody behaved toward you. Uh, and that can also be very difficult because we don't necessarily easily control our, control our feelings. So if someone's having trouble forgiving someone else, I, I always begin with, well, what are you telling yourself about what happened? And what is it you feel about what happened? And there usually will be some link between what you're telling yourself, what you believe and think, and the emotion. And there are two or three things that we tell ourselves and believe that creates this kind of lingering anger of not forgiving. Like they're a bad person, or what they did is unforgivable. Nobody should ever behave that way. It's intolerable that such things happen to me. And and if you can put yourself in that person's position, if you can think about what they were telling themselves and about why they did that, that may begin the process. So Jacob, let's come back to you. Um, what do you think about that when it comes to forgiving others? It's interesting that there isn't a set time frame, unless there is and I just don't know it. Um, but is it just something that you, I guess, have to work through? Or just like let run its course as you try to empathize and put yourself in their position? We're in a group where you could begin by praying. You could say, please help me forgive this person. And that would require sort of the insight that you're unforgiving, right? And you probably would want to begin with, you know, I'm suffering because I'm angry or I'm suffering because I won't forgive. I'd like some help to forgive. And reading about circumstances where people were forgiving, the best example would be the Savior. 
but it may take time. But to begin with asking for help and begin with the idea, I want to forgive. You know, and that really leads right back into what we're talking about, because there are so many nuances to this story. Do we know, did Joseph immediately forgive them? Can we jump back into this mm -hmm. and see if we can figure out some of these things? Yeah, so it's, it's a great question. And, and, you know, about two decades have passed since he's seen uh, his, his brothers. And so Joseph has grown a lot uh, in, in that time. But when he first sees them, he's, he's a little rough with them. And, you know, maybe he's testing them a little bit, right? And for me, the turning point comes at the end of chapter 44. And Benjamin has come back. Uh, with the brothers the second time. Benjamin is, is the youngest son. He's Joseph's full brother. And Joseph is going to hold on to Benjamin. And Judah, if you remember who at the beginning of the story, Judah was the one who, who had the great idea, let's sell Joseph, right? And, and so this is what happens at the end of chapter 44. Beginning in verse 32, for thy servant became surety for the lad unto my father, saying, if I bring him not unto thee, then I shall bear the blame to my father forever. So, so Judah's thinking about his father, Jacob. Now, therefore, I pray thee, let thy servant, he's talking about himself, let thy servant abide instead, instead of the lad, a bondsman to my Lord, and let the lad go up with his brethren. For how shall I go up to my father and the lad be not with me? Lest peradventure I see the evil that shall come upon my father. So Judah this same person who sold his brother into slavery 20 years earlier now says, no, take me instead. And it's at that moment that Joseph, in the very next verse, verse one of chapter 45, Joseph couldn't refrain himself and he cried. And then we get this reconciliation. To think that it took so long for Joseph to finally you know, realize uh, their sincerity through these, I don't know, if, if we want to call them tests, mm -hmm. Yeah. The New Testament principle is that story of when Christ said about the, the debtor who owed an impossible sum to his Lord. And um, he could never have paid it. And his Lord was going to put him in bondage. And he pleaded and the Lord forgave him. And then someone else owed him a little pittance and he didn't forgive them. And that, that the part of the process that I relate to about that is that, um, that often, like at least things that I feel unforgiving about, often I can see what failing am I trying to forgive here? And do I ever have that failing in me? And the answer is, sadly, most often, yeah, I've done that before. So how should we respond? Uh, you know, so, some people might say, so am I just supposed to kind of roll over when bad things happen to me, right? Or, or when I see evil in the world? Well, people will be angry. The, the, the world is not going to change to the extent that people get over being angry. Yeah. But people are going to do many things that are unhealthy and dangerous and unrighteous and sinful. Mm -hmm. The Lord said, I'll forgive whom I forgive. But of you, it's required to forgive all men. I think it's all men. Everyone. Yeah. Right? Forgive everyone. So we'll get angry. And the goal is to learn to control that emotion. Now... How the world happens is sometimes under our control, but not usually. So to insist that the world be different than it is, that's going to create anger and other self-defeating emotions. So what are appropriate or healthy emotions yeah. for either of you? I mean, when horrible things happen to us, right? So I have kind of a comment about calling a problem awful or calling it horrible, that the problem with them is they're overwhelmingly um, 
overgeneralizing. And you can't really solve a problem when it's overgeneralized. It works better to name the name of the problem. Um, for example, that, I mean, a horrifying example, so that we don't take lightly what this means, is the story of Amnaiha. Amulek wanted to stop that process of the martyrdom that they were witnessing. Glaum said, Spirit told him not to, and he named the problems. And those problems, not small problems, were injustice and pain. And then he only gave a little hint of the answers to those. But I think it's a, it's a process uh, that helps us when, when we're, something is just so bad we can't even stand it. Mm -hmm. It has a name. And, and some of it we turn over to God. Like Joseph said, let God judge. That's what we do with injustice. But that if it has a name, it's easier to deal with. One of the beautiful things about this story is we get to see the change that takes place when, when the forgiveness happens mm -hmm. all around. Yeah, so think about, so Joseph now has this realization. He begins to weep. He begins to talk with them. And if you go to chapter 45, verses 14 and 15, and he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck. Moreover, he kissed all his brethren and wept upon them. And after that, his brethren talked with him, right? I mean, and that is, that's the image of atonement. That's the image of reconciliation, of uh, you could not get more opposite from brothers trying to kill another brother, selling him into slavery, and now he falls upon their neck. They weep together. You know, and I'm so glad you brought it up. I would love to get an example of the blessings that you have seen uh, through this process of forgiveness. Adriana, go ahead. So I realize in my life when I have been forgiven or I've forgiven someone in my life where it was really hard, um, I've noticed that Heavenly Father helps me to have more space for feelings that are actually really good. Like Christ-like attributes, I feel like there's more room for the good things as opposed to that anger and that contention that I was holding on to when I wasn't forgiving someone. In addition to forgiveness, what other Christ-like attributes have you developed as you have forgiven others? I feel like I've developed more compassion because I had that difficulty forgiving someone or being forgiven or asking for forgiveness and not wanting to ask for forgiveness from someone. But now it's like, on the other side, I'm like, okay, I can have compassion, more compassion because I know what it's like. I know what it's like to go to someone and you don't want to, and it's uncomfortable, but that compassion comes in and I'm like, okay, <laughs> let's do this. <laughs> thank you for sharing that. I saw another hand, David. Yeah, thinking about families, it made me think of an experience that I have with my, at that time, five years old daughter. She wasn't being obedient. So I was hard on her. And then after that, I was trying to justify my comments to her. But then I felt that I shouldn't justify for that. And I felt bad because like, I shouldn't talk to her that way, right? She's learning still, I am I'm her father. So I remember kneeling down and asked her, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have talked to you that way. And she hugged me and those little hands around me. It just, it was something that I want her to know too, that it's okay to ask for forgiveness the way that I asked her that, and that I can be wrong sometimes. I'm learning too, right? So having that experience had taught me that the love is what is gonna change my attitude. 
I felt that that spirit that you brought with that. And and it really kind of goes back to what Adriana was saying is that forgiveness, it does open the door for other blessings. Thank you so much for sharing that. You know, I'm, I really want to talk to Diane and Lars about this. In this setting, we can easily say, use the Spirit to help you in forgiveness. Heavenly Father is with you. Um, I'm curious, in your practice, where it may not be, as, you know, in somebody who is religious or who has a, a, a similar faith that we do, how do you incorporate um, the spirit and the help from from beyond this earthly life in, in helping people overcome some of these challenges? I had an assignment once for training. I worked at the state prison, and um, my job was to administer this manual about, uh, really, as I read it, I thought, it's secular repentance, that what they were teaching was for people. It, it had not a single religious word in it, but the principles are true principles. And I think truth helps and that it doesn't always need to be couched strictly straight out of the scriptures. It's great because it's pure here, but that there are other ways to say a true principle that don't have to be, that can fit the audience we're speaking to. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Any thoughts on that? Well, I think truth is truth. Mm-hmm. And we believe that, that the light of Christ is given to every person. Uh, and so whether or not they name it as such, uh, and, and also the, that uh, God has sent his truth to all people in all cultures, in all times, in different ways, these are the principles of, of how we find joy and happiness and peace. You know, and I, and I love how you said that. Um, I just, I'm fascinated with this idea of what forgiveness allows us to do. And in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, he said, but as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Joseph recognizes that God's hand is in all of this. Mm-hmm. Thank you, everybody. Your comments have been great. Uh, I've learned a lot. This has been a wonderful discussion on the topic of forgiveness brings healing. One of the things that my parents taught me growing up was that service was really important. And they lived that. They have lived their whole lives serving other people and have exemplified service. And that's one thing that I hope that I have helped my children understand the importance of. What I learned from my mother um, that I try to instill is to never give judgment, to try and, and share God's love with everybody. Um, there's nobody too rich, too poor. Uh, lifestyles, it's all, we're all God's children. Always at the beginning of a school year or whenever we were sick or just struggling with something in general, my dad was always there to give us a blessing and it was a very, it was always a very spiritual experience, a very connecting experience that really not only helped us grow closer to our dad, but pointed us back to our Heavenly Father. So for our next topic, we're going to talk about Jacob's final blessing. Now, this is something that is is very poetic, uh, Mm -hmm. a lot of imagery, uh, but often uh, misunderstood. Uh, Can you shed some light on what we're going to be talking about and how can we understand what is happening here? Yeah, sure. So, so at the end of his life, uh, Jacob and, and his family, they've moved to Egypt now and they've settled there. And, and, uh, but, but he brings his family together. And so this is Genesis chapter 49. 
uh, where, where we see this happening, that he calls together his sons in verse one, gather yourselves together that I may tell you that which shall befall you in the last days. So it's not just, I'm gonna say all the nice things that are gonna happen, but, but he's gonna prophesy because we've, we know the house of Israel, there's gonna be ups and downs and, and each of the tribes is gonna have a, a different experience. So do you think this is a, uh, as he's prophesying as a warning, you need to change this or as a, this is what's gonna happen, <laughs> deal with it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to know. And of course, this is, this is written a long time right. after the fact. So in, so in some ways, a lot of these prophecies have been fulfilled as the Bible is being written and, and being compiled. Uh, and, and so there's just some beautiful passages here and, and some beautiful uh, promises that I think mean a lot to us, especially in the restoration. We can, as we look at the, the prophecy and the blessing that he gives to Judah in verses 8 through 12, uh, he, he talks about how, how Judah, in verse 10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah. And, and we think especially about Jesus Christ coming through his line. And then we, and then we move down to, to verses 22 uh, through 26, and this is the prophecy that he gives to, to Joseph, uh, talking about a fruitful bough in verse 22 that, that will run over the wall. And, and of course, from a restoration perspective, we know that the Joseph's descendants, including Manasseh, Lehi was a descendant of Manasseh. They ran over the wall or over the oceans uh, and, and, and were fruitful in, in a new land. So, so much involved with uh, Jacob's blessing of, of his children. Obviously, the spirit is involved as he's you know, prophesying of certain things. So in your own life, how much of a conscious effort do you feel the you use the spirit in trying to decide how to help each each individual child well i the the thought that came to mind is that the savior said that the spirit's like the wind right and and it strikes us and we don't know where it comes from and so i think asking is very important asking for the spirit and then you may or may not feel the spirit right uh and not feeling the Spirit is not necessarily a command to not move forward, right? So I think it's very important that we seek the Spirit, but the Spirit inspires us as He will, and, and we experience it as we will. And sometimes we know, sometimes we don't. Sometimes we're left to decide on our own. One of my favorite verses, it's the end of verse 28. It said, it's kind of summing up, all these are the 12 tribes of Israel, and this it is that their father spake unto them and blessed them. And this is the part that I think is a wonderful principle. Everyone, according to his blessing, he blessed them. And that's the principle that I think is a good parenting principle, mm -hmm. that we respond to each child according to who they are. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. What else can we draw from uh, this story, Patrick, uh, as far as uh, this idea of Jacob uh, blessing his family? Well, I think as Latter-day Saints, we have two great gifts that, that connect to this directly. First is the Father's blessings uh, and, and other kinds of, of priesthood blessings. And another is patriarchal blessings, that in every stake in the church, we have a patriarch and everybody has the opportunity to receive a blessing, which is maybe a little bit more like this, a little bit more prophetic uh, in, in terms of, of thinking about somebody's life. Thank you. Uh, I like that. Uh, thoughts from the audience. Um, how have you seen uh, this idea of father's blessings or any other type of blessing um, in your life? Preston, go ahead. Every uh, point when, we, when the first day of school comes, uh, 
we always get a blessing and uh, it really helps me out because uh, every time when it's the first day of school, it gets it gets kind of scary, especially when it's a new school because you don't know if you're going to make any new friends or if you're not going to pay attention. And when you're getting a blessing, it, it also feels really nice and you feel calm. I love that. So can we go to dad for a second? Uh-huh. What is your spiritual preparation going into blessing each individual child? I don't have a special preparation. It's just honestly say my prayers and let the Spirit guide me. You know, sometimes we find it, thank you for sharing that. Sometimes, you know, as a father, and now if you if you have experienced this in giving blessings to, to different children, you almost have to reset your, your brain because you don't want to become this uh, formulaic, I got to say this, this, and this. And you really want to try to individualize it, which clearly Jacob is doing here. Yeah, ex- exactly. And I think it comes from knowing your kids, right? And, and being very intentional about it and letting, letting the spirit lead. Yeah, and, and there's a pattern that we see uh, with blessings that still exist today with the laying on of hands. And uh, a question came from one of our viewers and I want to get your take on a response on what this viewer has to ask. Hi, my name is Vanessa and I'm from Spanish for Utah. My question would be, I am so glad my husband can give my kids blessings. How can I, as a mother, be more involved in these ordinances? There's kinds of authority that matriarchs have that are their own too. Even in this story, their mothers gave them their names. And and in each name, they told them what it meant. And so I think you end up having influence in informal ways that may be deep and lasting. Do you you think that it would be uh, beneficial to to counsel with your husband? Can can, can husbands and wives counsel together prior to going into uh, a blessing of a child? And how do you think that would affect the blessing of that child? That's a great idea. I think absolutely. I mean, my wife and I do that together. Really? And uh, I mean, there's, there's no revelation that I'm entitled to as a father that she's not entitled to as, as a mother. And in fact, President Nelson talked about this in terms of the partnership that exists b- between a husband and wife and parents. We need each married sister to speak as a contributing and full partner as you unite with your husband in governing your family. And so a contributing and full partner. I mean, that's, that's, that's full equality uh, in, in the home. And so, so that's, that's something, I mean, we, we started it with the, the baby blessings. Uh, so I was the voice, but those are things that we had counseled together to think about what did we want to pray and, uh, over, over these new infants uh, in, in our arms. And, and we do that at the beginning of, you know, the school year blessings and things like that. What, what do we together want to bless our children with? I love that. So blessings come in many different forms. Yeah, absolutely. This idea of blessing our, our posterity. So can you give me an example from what we've been talking about? What are some of the blessings that Jacob gave to his children, maybe specifically Joseph, that we still see today? I think the main one is the, uh, is the covenant. Uh, the, the, the covenant that he made and, and that they would worship the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, right? We, we, that's a generational mm-hmm. thing. The, the covenant begins with Abraham. It's passed down within the family. And we all benefit from that as, as part of the family of Abraham. So that's a very clear thing. Well, you know, something that comes to mind is that I think 
if you look for the great blessing that was given to Joseph, most people can't find that. You really have to look to the Book of Mormon to find where that beautiful blessing was fulfilled. Mm-hmm. And, and, and today, most many, 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 most members of the church are really in the tribe of Joseph, mm-hmm. Ephraim. Yeah. Now, Lars, you mentioned this connection with the Book of Mormon, and I, I want to uh, ask Patrick, uh, what sort of uh, understanding do we, do we receive from the Book of Mormon about this blessing, specifically from Jacob down to Joseph? Yeah, so, so we get this uh, actually in 2 Nephi chapter 3, we, we get the prophecy uh, in which he talks about how, how Joseph, uh, his son, was a descendant of Joseph of Egypt, and, and he connects all of that to the work that would happen in the last days. And doesn't he name Joseph's father as well? He's- exactly, and, 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 and he talks about that there would be a descendant of, of his son who would be named Joseph, who would be named after his father. Uh, and and so so this this is all part of this this family of Joseph. The, these these prophecies that we see beginning with Jacob, uh, they play out in the Book of Mormon for Lehi's family, and they play out uh, in the last days as well. That's brilliant. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. I just want to go one more, uh, one more time back to the audience. Uh, how have the generations before you blessed you in your life today? Wesley, did you have a comment? All right. Yeah. So being a you know, one of my parents was a convert with his family. And then on the other side, um, the, the family's been in the church since the beginning, you know, through the handcarts and everything. And so seeing both sides of that, I feel extremely grateful um, because on the one side, we kind of have like that ancestral fire sort of that um, I still feel greatly blessed through generations of the church that you can see. There's thousands of stories through journals. I feel a sort of devotion to them, almost an urge to continue um, but at the same time, coming from the other side, I also feel a sort of devotion to them to continue living what they started. And so on both sides, it's a completely different story. But at the same time, I still feel that same sort of uh, inspiration and ancestral fire to continue living exactly what they've showed me how to live. So you, you are making choices based off of things that happened generations ago. Exactly. That's amazing. I love that. Have any of you ever had an experience that has been beneficial to you reading a patriarchal blessing from one of your ancestors or in general receiving a a blessing from somebody within your family? Lindsay, please. When I was in the fifth grade, I was diagnosed with scoliosis. It's the curvature of your spine. And so I was uh, treated with a Boston back brace. Psychologically, it had been a very difficult experience for me and something that I hated wearing. And we would go into Oakland where I saw a specialist there. And my father would give me a blessing before each of these appointments. And this one particular time when I was needing this new brace, I just it was the most devastating news to hear that I needed to have another brace for another couple of years. And he gave me a blessing that day. And so I went to the doctor's office and eventually they, they said, well, let's take one last x-ray before you f- we fit you for the next back brace. And um, that x-ray, the doctor, I walked in the doctor's office and he said, you know, I'm not quite sure what happened here because this x-ray is completely different than the one that we took just a couple weeks ago, but the degree of your curvature now is so minimal that we don't need to treat you with another back brace. And I still remembered making that phone call to my dad and saying, Dad, thank you. 
I know it was because Heavenly Father knew how I felt, and it was the blessing that you gave me. And um, I just felt like the, that He had provided that conduit between me and my Heavenly Father, and my Heavenly Father knew that I just couldn't handle it anymore. And how has that affected your personal relationship with our Father in Heaven? I know that He knows me, and I know that He's aware of our emotions and of our feelings and our needs. And I'm just one of a, of a billion people, but He knows me, and He loves me, and He is merciful, and He's kind. It's a great lesson, a great reminder that as we talk about blessings, ultimately, the purpose is to connect us back to our Father in Heaven. This has been a great discussion on the second topic of Jacob blesses his family. One of the things that stood out to me today is learning that kindness and love is never a waste. You should always give love and kindness no matter um, what you're experiencing. I really just thought about my family and my experience with my family, and it's different, but it's all a part of my story, and I, I am very appreciative of my family and my history and, and where I come from. So. Welcome to Come Follow Up Footnotes, where we get to dive in a little deeper into some of these topics within the chapters we've been studying this week. And uh, let's start with uh, Patrick. We, uh, we were talking a little bit about the end of this story and some of the, uh, the effects of that. And uh, let's go into those and read some of these verses. And I'd love to hear your take on what happens after all is said and done. Yeah, right. So uh, Jacob and his family had moved to Egypt, and and then uh, and then he dies there. But he, but he wants to be buried back in in his homeland, uh, where where he came from. And so so the the family gathers together uh, after he's passed away, and this is in chapter fifty, and uh, begins in verse sixteen. It says, they sent a messenger unto Joseph, saying, Thy father did command before he died, saying, So shall you say unto Joseph. Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin, for they did unto thee evil. And now we pray thee, forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of thy father. And Joseph wept when they spake unto him. His dying words uh, to, to Joseph are, are to forgive. Now, Joseph's already shown forgiveness, but sometimes I think we don't fully believe in the forgiveness. It's almost too good to be true. And then his brothers, in verse 18, his brothers also went and fell down before his face. And they said, behold, we be thy servants. And Joseph said unto them, fear not, for am I in the place of God? Who is the ultimate judge? And right? we see this theme, Joseph yeah. is always deferring back to God. Yep. yep, exactly. And then verse 20, as for you, you thought evil against me. He hasn't forgotten that. Forgiveness doesn't mean forgetting. Okay. Right? But God meant it unto good to bring it to pass, as it is this day to save much people alive. That, that, that he knew that the way that everything had turned out was, was for the best. And that, that gave him the space. You know, he'd already forgiven, but, but it gave him once again space for, for this reconciliation in, in this family. I want to focus on this phrase where it says, uh, this kind of stood out to me, God meant it unto good to bring to pass. What is that? What does that mean? That's a pretty complicated theological question in terms of how does that intersect with our free will. But certainly, God can turn all bad things to good, 
God can redeem all things. This is the story we see through the scriptures over and over and over again, is that we screw up, right? We do horrible things to each other, but God in his infinite mercy and love and power can turn all good things, all things to good. And so, and Joseph had a sense of this all the way back in chapter 45, verse eight, uh, when, when he told his brothers, it wasn't you that sent me hither, but God, right? So do you, uh, in your practice, uh, do you guys see situations where things get really, really bad. But in the long run, how have you seen through the grace of God that things actually really work out in a, in a really positive way? I think part of it depends on the lens that you choose. For example, there is a level of reality which is fact-based. For example, we could all agree there's four chairs. We could give each other's names. That degree of reality is pretty fact-based. And then there's the story you make about it. And in that space between what happens and what it means is lots of room for interpretation. Um, there's an example of this with uh, Nephi and his, with Nephi's brothers, how he tells a story of the many miracles that happened to them, how much they were helped in the wilderness. And his brothers say it would have been better for our wives if we died. Well, they were together for all those years. Well, the fact and the interpretation of the fact is really very different from a shared experience. And so... Um, what meaning we make of the experience is that's a place that we exercise agency. And so I think it's a huge step in forgiveness if the meaning that we make of something is that it came to good or that there was purpose in it. It's a step of healing grief, too, that if we can see purpose that came from that grief, we can do better with it. And so that he told the story in a way that included what the goodness came from it. Okay, so... Could we see the same scenario with Joseph play out even if his attitude was, was different? I think he could have felt and acted very differently if he chose a different perspective for it. Okay. I think it's one of the reasons we're really grateful to have the scriptures because it gives us one way to look at the world that makes sense, that puts a lot of trouble in perspective, um, and that we, we see and behave differently when we think about that, when we believe God's merciful, or we believe that the big picture has purpose in it, even if in the short term it's not that enjoyable. <laughs> well, th there are many features of our, uh, of our understanding that change our perception of what's happening to us. Our perspective on, on what's happened to us will change our emotions in many ways, but we can work to change our perspective. We can work, and that's what, that's what Joseph's doing. He's trying to change their perception. That things don't happen without God, our Father in Heaven, being involved in the details. Does that help, you know, as, as you see patients uh, and, and, and people who come to you, uh, you know, who, who are really struggling and, and, and uh, you know, maybe with depression, with anxiety, with any number of things, how does it help to have a sense that God has a plan for me in my life, that, that there's to have a bigger perspective? Um, hope is pretty powerful influence. And even if it's not clear what that purpose might be, right. that if you hope it could be good, they call it placebo in psychology, and you can measure it. It's about 30%. You know? wow. If people take some pill and they think it has something good in it, they get better, mm -hmm. whether or not it has anything good in it. Yeah. And it's, it's not placebo, it's hope. You can measure it. And um, the idea that there can be meaning in this, let's watch for it, you do watch for it, and that you work for it. And those things are 
effective ways to exercise faith, and also it can change your actions if you hope it can go somewhere and you can help it go that good place. And it can change your interpretation of this complex world around us. What do we choose to look at and pay attention to? Right. Okay. So we've got to go back to the beginning because we, we, we cover the end. Mm-hmm. My favorite part of, of this story is when Joseph first meets his brothers. And this, because he doesn't expect it. They right. just show up and he didn't let those things of his past get him down. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I always used to think, well, because he forgave them and moved on. But then when he finally meets his brothers and he's confronted with this, I don't know if you want to call it trauma from his past, he had put the, the past behind him, but I don't know if he really forgave them. And I think it's shown here in how he first reacts when all of a sudden all this, these memories of what they did to him comes rushing back into his life and he has to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They say it's a feature of trauma, that it can be like that experience all over again. For example, people who were soldiers with a roadside bomb, they'll be at a barbecue and smell burning flesh and it's just like they were there again. And, and that the vision of him, you know, right there and his experience right before him, wow, it could be, ta- of course, would take him aback. And that 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 it would be remembering all over again, maybe. Yeah, and what's the, I, I, I just think it's such a good question. Is there a difference between kind of moving past something, right, just letting it pass yeah. into the rear view, and then forgiveness? What's the difference between those two things? Yeah, I, I think of it as compartmentalizing, sort of, and it's mm. a useful, I mean, sometimes people use yeah. it in a judgmental way, you're just burying it. But sometimes it's just not the point. You know, that there's right. other things to think about each day. Yeah. And he may have done some of that. Mm-hmm. You know, that it just wasn't the point of each day. There was a lot of corn to administer. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then all of a sudden, like, boom, he has, it, it's right in front of his face. Yeah. And it's like, oh, I have to deal with this. And his brothers do too. That's, that's the thing too. So he had his own trauma, but, but we see, like, it, you know, he, he says, bring your youngest brother. And that sparks something in them too. That they remember what they did to, the, to the, their younger brother. And then in verse 21, They still don't know this is Joseph in front of them, but they say, we're verily guilty concerning our brother. So they've never forgotten what they did to him. Exactly. And this transports them right back to that moment in that we saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us and we would not hear. They still hear his voice ringing in their head of calling out from that pit and they ignored him. So they're transported right back to that. So so everybody in this moment is is brought back and and now they have to deal with it. There are subtleties and complexities in this story that can help us understand, but but it's pretty clear it's likely he heard a lot of this going on because they didn't, they thought he couldn't understand Hebrew. Mm -hmm. So they may have been talking about it without the, and he may have heard it all, but he heard some of it anyway, and and it touched him and he began to trust them, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And we get a different view of Laman and Lemuel, right? Uh, Nephi forgives them many times over, but they recidivate. They do it over and over and over again. They get angry. They get angry. They get angry. And we're really not privy to all the things they were thinking or all the things that went on between them. This is a compression of a lot of drama, right? Compressed into just a few lines. And, and what, what do we say in, in our time? I mean, I'm, I'm sure you've, had, you've talked with people who they believe in forgiveness. It's a true principle. Um, but the people keep doing the same wrongs over and over and over again, you know, sort of more like the Nephi and Laman and Lemuel situation. How do we balance 
this true principle of forgiveness with also self-protection. On every psychological training thing that talks about forgiveness or dealing with anger, they talk about different steps to take. And setting boundaries is always one that they recommend so that re-injury doesn't happen. And, and I sort of think of it as two problems. That one problem is your feelings about an injury. But problem number, and that we don't want to have that be misery. Mm -hmm. The other problem of what happened is still to be dealt with and to make, to let it happen again and again and again. That's not wisdom. So to find a way to be safe, we don't have to be angry. That would be making not only safety as a problem, our own anger, our own forgiveness is a problem. To solve one problem, you know, to remain safe is a great idea. I love the scripture about wise as serpents and harmless as doves, yeah. you know, that wisdom, we can do that for ourselves. I'm wondering if this is, if Joseph is giving us an example of this, because I love verse 24 when he realizes that they've been thinking about this. They still remember the, the hurt and the pain they caused. And he says, he turned himself about them and he wept. However, he still doesn't reveal himself. He still puts them through a process of, and correct me if I'm wrong, do you see him as going through him like, okay, I, I, I'm touched that, that you are, maybe there's some regret there, but I still want to know where your hearts really are. Can, can we relate that to this idea of you still have to protect yourself? I, I, I get a sense that Joseph is trying to protect himself, even though they feel bad. Well, he, he's certainly making it clear to them that he is in control. It's difficult to know how a given person will respond to your efforts to forgive them or to get them to change their behavior. And, uh, and I don't think we do other people a favor if we allow them to misbehave. And the, and the more egregious their misbehavior, the worse it is for us to let them continue, right? They put themselves at risk as well as the people they harm. Uh, and it can be very difficult for people to learn to say no. Yeah, in a lot of ways what he does is he gives them an opportunity. There's a nice parallel here when, when he talks about Benjamin and, and bring the youngest son and all that kind of stuff. And, and he gives them an opportunity to reflect once again on what it means for the older brothers to protect the younger brother, which they failed to do all those years ago. And, and so there's a nice symmetry. I, I don't know if it's always healthy in relationships to give people tests, right? To make sure they, right. they pass the test the second time. But, but here, maybe it was good for them to do that too. We certainly see that with Judah, right? I mean, he, he's able to articulate and voice some things and works through some things and maybe not just show Joseph, but maybe more importantly, show himself that he's a different person than he was. Uh, Patrick, would you mind kind of walking us through some of these events that take place? Uh, what is Joseph doing uh, with his brothers to kind of lead up to when he really reveals who he is? And we kind of have this beautiful moment. One of the interesting things is he, they, they do buy the grain uh, in order to take it back, but, but he, he has his chief steward kind of put the money back in the top of the sacks. And they're really worried about this when they get back, right? They're like, oh man, he's, gonna, he's already mad at us. Simeon's already in jail, right? He's asked to bring our youngest brother. Can, and, can I read that? Yeah, 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 yeah. I love what it says. He says, and it came to pass, they emptied their sacks that behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when both they and their father saw the bundles of money, they were afraid. So they're like, yeah, they're like 
Uh-oh. We're in trouble. We've done something really wrong here. What's going to happen next? Yeah, and and Jacob is like, say sorry, right? <laughs> I mean, it's like, I, you've got to go back. And and it, it, they have to persuade Jacob to to send Benjamin, but they do. And and so Benjamin goes back with them. They 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 apologize again. I mean, they sort of abase themselves. Here's your money. So sorry. Don't know how that happened, right? And uh, but 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 they they eat together and they and they they share a meal and and they're spending time uh, to, together. And and then this this is where you know Joseph puts the silver cup you know in in, in Benjamin's uh, sack as they're about to go back again. And this is where Judah steps up. Uh, and says, no, 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 T- take me, don't, don't take the boy, right? And that, I think, at the end of chapter 44 into chapter 45, I think, I think that's finally, Joseph has seen what he needs to see, right? Wh- whatever, whether it's a test or whether it's just the, the kind of healing that he needs, he says, all right, this, this, this is different now. But what do we say to people who have experienced some kind of serious harm and they say, I, I just can't forgive right now. Yeah, it would depend on the role. What do they want help with? Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and that sometimes witnessing what went wrong takes a while. And this story is such an example of that. When he sent him away with food, he knew the, food, he knew the family was going to last. He knew they'd be back again. Right. And he gave himself time. Yeah. If somebody were to say to me, I can't forgive, I really think I'd sort of use a psychologist cop-out answer. I would say, well, why are you telling me that? What is it you want help with? So if they're saying that, I, they, they may wish that they could forgive, and, and now we have a place to work, right? Right. But if you get the inkling that it's the right thing to do, that's what Alma said. You yeah, even the desire. Yeah, if you right. just can just desire it, right. then you kind of know what it would be like to think that. So I'll say to people, well, what if you thought this is just another fallible human being? I, I know you don't forgive them. But what would it feel like to think, well, this is just another fallible human being doing the things that human beings do? If you believe that, how would that feel? And often people can sort of get this inkling, well, that'd be relief. So that's a beginning that you can work at. Mm. A lot of times I think we, uh, because of your profession, people um, ask you questions. How do I do this from a professional standpoint? Um, On a more personal level, what experiences have you had forgiving others? Uh, well, so I, I had an experience with my brother that really highlighted how angry I had been at him over the years. He was, he was an alcoholic, and, and, and we went out to dinner, and, and as he usually did, he, he got really quite sloppy drunk. And, and this night, for some reason, he was quite mean, and he said things that really made me angry. Now, my mentor, his name was Albert Ellis, we talked about it, and then he had me do this little exercise. He had me vividly, very vividly see my brother. And as I saw him, I felt really quite angry. And then he did a very simple thing. He said, well, change that anger to sadness. And I did. I changed it to sadness. And how did I change it to sadness? Well, I could see that the reason he had done it was because of his alcoholism and that that alcoholism was going to kill him. And I was never angry at him again, only sad. And and it's not a happy emotion. But once I understood that, you know, really, this is him suffering. I'm suffering too, but it's really more about his suffering than mine. I could let go of it. That's what the Lord can do for us. You know, the the sins that people create that cause us trouble and the sins we create that cause other people trouble, he's really paid for all of that. 
And if we can, if we can let go of it by letting him be the one who's in charge of that, then we can have another emotion. Now, it may not be joy about the bad things that have happened, but it doesn't have to be anger. You know, and ultimately, when we, what I love about this story is we really see Joseph as a type of Christ. And with everything that he, the whole process that he goes through uh, with his brothers and, um, and even the kind of the, the test he puts them through to really truly understand their hearts um, as he seeks to forgive them. What elements do we see in, in these verses, Patrick, that really kind of nail down this Christ-like comparison that we can make with Joseph? Yeah, I mean, it, it, I, th- I think it begins with, you know, Christ as, as the suffering servant uh, being despised and rejected uh, by, by his own, uh, by, by his own family, by, by us, right, uh, by his own people. And, and the, uh, the, the, you know, the sadness that that, that, that brought to his father. Um, but then that, uh, that, that Jesus, uh, like Joseph, uh, that, that Jesus, despite the rejection, dis- despite the betrayal, despite the violence that was done against him, he had a supreme knowledge of who he was and what his mission was. And his mission was to save. And that uh, just like Joseph saved Egypt, one corner of the world, seemed like the world at the time, uh, Jesus in his mercy uh, despite all that we've done to him, despite all the, the pain and grief that he bore for us, uh, it's actually in that that, that, that that he saves us and and that he offers us forgiveness over and over and over again. And he gives us a place of safety. That's beautifully said. Thank you. I love this story. I love how relevant it is today. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I, your wisdom both of you and the work that you've put in to, to help bless lives, uh, it's an inspiration. And, I, and I've learned a lot. I know Patrick, Absolutely. Uh, it's been really neat to see how we can implement so many of these things from something so ancient, <laughs> but it becomes so, so relevant and new. So thank you so much for being here. And thank all of you for, for being here. And please, if you have felt something, if there's somebody that you feel like you need to forgive, or if there's anything that you are encouraged by the Spirit to do, we would invite you to act on those thoughts and those feelings. And please join us next week for another episode of Come Follow Up. Come Follow Up is a production of BYU Broadcasting.